Chapter Twelve of Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Fourteen. Andy's room was Spartan. In one corner was a bed covered with a bright blue cloth that reached to the floor. Beside it was a straight-backed chair. Against the opposite wall was an enamel cabinet that looked like a washing machine. The third corner housed a huge desk, on which were a beautifully fashioned model of a delta-wing plane, with a long fuselage reaching out ahead of the wings, and a white telephone. A plain bureau, a wardrobe, and a comfortable-looking contour chair, made of what looked like aluminum pipes and rubbery plastic, completed the furniture. The floor was bare and made of huge panels of plywood with some hardwood veneer. The canary-yellow walls were innocent of all decoration, except a small crucifix with an ebony cross and an ivory corpus, which hung over the cabinet at the foot of the bed, and a larger carving of St. Andrew on an X-shaped cross, which hung at its head. "'It's lavish,' Andy grinned as he waved his hand around the barren room. "'But I call it home. You'll want a shower. It's in there.' He pointed to a door. "'I'll get you something clean. You can have any color you like, as long as it's green.' He was opening drawers, taking out cellophane-wrapped packages. Just drop things anywhere. Don't worry about the dirt. Towels are inside there. We live in Hillstown. What's it like? How old are you? Do you play football? You been in Texas long? How'd you get in? Dad find you? Did you climb over the fence? Sometime I'm going to try that. You go to school around here? Ned almost staggered under the rapid-fire barrage. Then he burst out laughing. Andy's face was bewildered for a second, and then he too started to laugh. In a moment they were both breathless with laughter. Then Andy looked apologetic and said, I don't get much chance to talk to guys my age. Don't mind me. Clean, dry, and comfortable, they chatted amicably, while Andy gathered up Ned's little clothing, shoes and all, and dumped everything unceremoniously into the enamel cabinet and turned a switch. A low humming rose to a high-pitched whine and died away to silence. Dry washer, Andy grinned. Sound waves do it all. It takes about an hour. How do you like my St. Andrew? Ned walked over and looked at the statue closely. It was done in some material he didn't recognize, and carved with infinite painstaking care and skill. The figure was straining and writhing in unbearable agony, the head thrown back in a paroxysm of pain. The features contorted with anguish, and yet at the same time oddly peaceful. Every muscle, every hair, every pore almost, had been wrought with a precision and accuracy that bespoke unlimited patience. It was, he thought, as if someone had nailed a strong muscular man to an X-shaped cross, and at the moment of supreme torment had magically reduced him in size, frozen him into immobility, and fastened him to the yellow wall. Wow, he said softly, that's really something. Steve did it, Andy said slowly. He gave it to me for my birthday last week, said he wanted me to remember that I was named after a strong man. He stopped. You know... He continued, looking at Ned with a wondering sort of expression on his face. I guess Dad is right. We owe your father an awful lot. Then, before Ned could say anything, his expression changed again. Come on, let's see. Do the clothes feel all right? They felt fine, and they fitted well. Andy was a little shorter than Ned, but not enough to matter. The sandals on Ned's bare feet were comfortable, and the green t-shirt and trousers felt soft against his skin. It was a hearty, pleasant meal, served by a lean negro with dazzling white teeth. Nancy, Andy's twin sister, was a surprise. While Andy was tall and rangy, with thick brown hair and a stiff crew cut, and a pleasantly homely face, redeemed by his bright eyes and flashing grin, 
Nancy was a frail-looking girl with a pale, beautiful face, wavy auburn hair, and the greenest eyes Ned had ever seen. They looked like emeralds. Over coffee, Silas Baldwin explained about the debt he owed Ned's father. The twins had just been born. Ned was about eight months old then, and Mrs. Baldwin, Lord rest her sweet soul, was terribly ill. Mr. Baldwin was in debt to his ears, out of work and desperate. One night, feeling completely lost, he knocked at the door of his neighbor across the street and found Ed Bartley holding his baby son in one arm and packing a bag with another. He looked harried. But he listened. He had to catch a train, because he was going somewhere to give a lecture. His wife, he explained, was in Milwaukee giving a concert. He was in an awful rush. But he saw I was in trouble, so he sat down, holding the baby on his lap, and listened. Baldwin's voice sounded odd as he recalled the events of that long-ago night. Look, said Bartley, I have just enough cash, believe it or not, to get me where I'm going tonight, and the fifty bucks or so I'll get wouldn't help you much. He stopped as an idea came to him. But maybe I have something that will help. Just this afternoon I finished a pot boiler. I've been toying around with it. I think it should go. You take it. He went to the desk and pulled out a sheaf of typewritten pages, which he thrust into Baldwin's hands. You take it and peddle it, and I hope you get a lot of money and it helps you. Now will you please hold Buster here until I finish packing the bag? I'll never make it otherwise. I'll pray for you, Sigh, Hard. Baldwin paused and sipped his coffee. Ned glanced around the table and saw the interest written on all the faces. Nancy and Andy, obviously, had heard the story before, but Stephen Duke apparently had not, and they were leaning forward, hanging on every word. Well, I sent the story in to the Saturday Evening Post. By return mail there was a check for $2,500 and a letter saying they were going to run it in three installments. And that wasn't the end. The pot boiler was made into a play and then into a movie. A couple of years later somebody turned it into a musical that broke practically every record and then they made the musical into a movie. By that time I had not only paid off all my debts but I'd met Willard Trask who had a little gadget for oiling train wheels in motion and that was a start of Baldwin Enterprises. But... He held up his hand. That's not the whole story. In fact, that's the least important part of the story. He drank some more coffee and went on. I went back to Bartley when the play deal developed and told him he had given me a gold mine and he ought to share the profit. You know what he did? He laughed and shook my hand. Sigh, he said, and I can remember his very words. I gave you that pot boiler and everything you could get out of it. It makes me feel wonderful to know it was a good gift. Don't spoil it by trying to make me take it back. Keep every cent of it and enjoy it in good health. Maybe some day you can do as much for somebody. Baldwin paused again and smiled as at a pleasant memory. Well, he continued, I went home and talked things over with my wife, and we decided that the reason Ed Bartley was so unconcerned about money was that he had something maybe better. He had faith and he lived by it. He had a real supply of Christian charity and generosity on tap. I never saw two people so completely unworried about the future as Mr. and Mrs. Ed Bartley. Well, to make a long story short, my wife and I and the two kids wound up getting baptized one Sunday afternoon, with the Bartley standing up for us. He smiled at Andy. How you squalled! I never heard such noise. Then he became serious again, and he was explaining something to all of them, something he regarded obviously as highly important. It worked, you know. Everything worked. Trask came into the church, too, and he really got into the swing of things. He put crucifixes in every room, for instance, and free lectures, good ones, to everybody we hired, 
and salaries. You know, Ned, Baldwin Enterprises gets the best people, absolutely top flight, and we never advertise. We simply ask our people if they know anybody who can do such and such, and would they be interested. And then we pay them exactly twice whatever they say they can make from anyone else, and throw in all the stuff the popes have said about just wages and human dignity and leisure and such. It works. I have the best people in the country working for me, and they work, not because I push or Trask pushes, but because they know they'll get Christian treatment from us, the same sort of thing I got from your father. I imagine Baldwin Enterprises must have close to 20,000 patents by now, and they all either make money or have made money or will make money for Baldwin and for the guy who dreamed the thing up. That's what I got from Ed Bartley. That's why I got so excited when I saw you. More coffee? Ned sat back with a sigh. He felt completely at ease, entirely at home. You make me feel like I'm home again, he said simply, and the financier nodded his understanding. At that moment there came a knock, and Father Carson limped in, carrying a bright green cloak over his arm. Ha, huh, he said, I see you made it on your own. I suspected you might. Sigh, this youngster wants to see the spaceship. This youngster, replied Baldwin, can go on a trip in the spaceship if he wants to, any time he likes. He grinned. Go ahead, kids, take over. I can see you're bursting to show off your knowledge. The rest of us have things to talk over. End of chapter 12